Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. This week, Pastor Ben Pitney has a message titled About Divorce from Matthew 19. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Um, today, I, I got to tell you, oh, goodness, I, I have poured over um, my message today. I just want you to know in a good way, I have really poured over it for weeks and weeks, actually. And um, uh, I have not put it off, but I tried to adjust when we were going to talk about this issue and, or this subject. And uh, uh, I don't, I am unafraid to talk about it, but that doesn't mean I want to talk about it. Um, most pastors, I don't think, do. But I can't. You can't teach through the gospels and go through the gospels and then leave part of it out. I don't know what you're thinking if you're going to do that. It's just not right. So you have to address every part of the gospel and even the most difficult parts. And uh, believe me, Jesus does not make it easy. God does not make it easy. He does not. So it's a sensitive subject when you talk about divorce. Just double down on that times five if you talk about divorce and remarriage. Um, And the Bible doesn't give you this like manual and list of rules necessarily. It's not like that. There's actually, Jesus uh, talks about this quite a bit, but there's so much confusion about words, context, the, the languages um, it make it really hard to condense it into uh, one message in particular. And because um, it's, it's not a, I, well, I guess I don't really want to do an entire series, just wear people out about it, trying to condense it into a, a, a palatable message that doesn't hurt people's feelings, that doesn't offend, that, you know, because it's a, volatile subject. It's a tender subject, and my heart's tender about it. We are all affected by divorce, and you can't get around it. It's, it's inside and outside of the church. It's a really, really tough subject. It's a sensitive subject, so my heart is, is actually really tender and uh, towards it, and I don't, uh, you know, because, you know, here's, here's the things that I've been thinking through. Oh, Great, I wish I would have known, you know, I'm here today for the first time. This is a great message for the first Sunday at Vail Christian Church, or I'm pretty new, or, you know, I'm visiting, or somebody, a friend brought me. <laughs> oh, so I'm just thinking through that lens going, goodness, this is a fantastic subject. You know, I, I don't know, my heart's just tender towards that, and, and lots of people are um, affected by this, so I am not unaware, okay? I, I deeply am aware of all of your lives and uh, various things that have been going on in your lives. But I, I don't think it's fair. You know, if we can't talk as a church, if we're not about talking about sin and forgiveness and redemption and being made new in God's heart, then I, I don't know what we're doing because it's, there's no degrees of sin, by the way, with God. I don't know if you ever thought about that. Any sin, so um, uh, 
of any sin. It doesn't matter if it's taking the Lord's name in vain or murder. It all separates us from God. It all separates us from God. There's none one worse than the other that, now obviously there are sin that leads to more sin and impacts uh, things, but in, in God's eyes, all, there are no degrees of sin. It all separates us from him. So I want you, uh, I'm hoping that you can be a little bit open and, um, and know that my heart is to not be, not allow my words to get in the way, but I want to draw the truth out of the text just like always. And, and let's look for God's heart. Last week, um, it was really important to me to kind of sit up this and talk about God's heart. And because you, you can't discuss something difficult, controversial, sensitive um, at all without looking at God's heart. So how should Christ followers in the church, how should we, um, how should we think about divorce? What should we do? What should we, how should we think about it? Church leaders are f- who are firmly committed to the authority of the scriptures reach very, very different conclusions about divorce and about the related issue of remarriage after divorce. Uh, if, uh, pastors and theologians are all over the map. Is divorce ever permissible? There's a great question people always want to ask. I think it's most of the time the wrong question to ask. Is remarriage after divorce ever permissible? So Vail Christian Church, we don't have an official policy on these two big questions, actually. That might shock you, but we don't. The elders have no statement. What I'm going to give to you is my own view on the matter because we are all kind of see it a little bit different, as do most churches and elders. And, and there's good reason for that that I think you'll be aware of more. So before I begin, let me, let me set the tone here just a little bit, because this is like, this is a difficult subject that, again, I want to be very careful with, and I'm thinking through the, the lens of your heart as much as possible. Let me remind you of the basis on which we approach the topic, any topic that's difficult. We take our guidance, not from the culture that we live in or the society that we live in, but from the scriptures. And we read the scriptures as people, the church, of the risen Christ filled with the Spirit of God. We have been raised with Christ. We've put off the old self of the old man and put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of our creator. We are able to let the message then of Christ dwell in us richly, the scriptures say. So our thinking about divorce must be informed by the gospel message of Christ and by the empowering of the Spirit of God. So this is applicable no matter what. It can be encouraging no matter what if you're thinking um, through that lens. We are empowered by the Spirit of God. So divorce and remarriage is not a new issue. (laughs) It's a hot topic 2,000 years ago, both Matthew and Mark, those two gospels, record an incident that is unavoidable. They record an incident when Jesus was questioned about the matter. And for several reasons, I think Matthew's account 
of this incident is the best place to start a discussion about divorce. And that's where we are journeying through Matthew. And, you know, think of this because Jesus is on his way to the cross. He is undeterred. He is determined to get to the cross for our sake. Nothing's going to stop him, but along the way, he does all kinds of teaching. And remember, he's revolutionary. He's changing everything. Remember, the old covenant, the old promise, that's all going away. And he's here to inaugurate the new covenant, the new promise. It's him. So if you're going to cling to the old and be resistant, man, it's going to be difficult and hard. All right? So Matthew chapter 19 is where we are, and we'll just read a few verses. So it says, now when Jesus finished these sayings, he left Galilee and went to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan River. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Jesus is all about healing. I love that part, just before you get to this difficult issue. He's all about healing people. (laughs) Don't forget that. Then some Pharisees came to him in order to test him. Now, every time I say the word Pharisee, it it makes me go, oh, those guys. Uh, But here's the thing. You got to be careful. I think they represent me and you way more than we're willing to be truthful about. You can be awful hard on those guys, but those guys are us. Okay? They're us. So be careful. You know, just like anybody, I'm like, oh, of course they do. This is what they want to do. This is how they are. So some Pharisees came to him in order to test him. They asked, is it lawful to divorce a wife for any cause? He answers, have you not read that from the beginning, the creator, and then you'll, you'll notice the text gets bold. That means Jesus is reaching back into the Old Testament, into Genesis, where we were last week, in those verses, you remember? I taught through those last week ad nauseum. So he reaches back and he says, from the beginning the creator made them male and female. And he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and will be united with his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate or your grandpa might say, let no one put asunder. Right out of the King James. I kind of like the asunder. Okay, now, here we go. You ready? Hang on. Verse 3, some of the Pharisees came to him in order to test him. They asked, is it lawful to to divorce a wife for any cause? So this isn't an innocent question. Don't think it. It's not an innocent question. The Pharisees are testing Jesus, trying to trip him up and force him to say something that would give them a gotcha moment regarding the issue. That's what they want. They want to stir it up. All right? They're trying to embroil him in a current dispute, actually, amongst all kinds of other things. What were valid grounds for divorce? We want the answer. The rabbis of Jesus' day had divided into two camps of thinking on this question based on their reading of a single verse from the Torah or the law, Israel's law. So what makes us so sensitive are words, languages, dead languages, all these things, culture, all this stuff gets in the way of our understanding a lot, complicating it. Like I said, Jesus does not make this easy. So be careful about just taking things face value. You have to do a little bit of work here. So here's what happens. The Torah, 
Israel's law, they go back to Deuteronomy 24.1. Here it is. If a man marries a woman and she does not please him because he has found something offensive, there's some words that you can't just take face value. You got to dig into the, what in that world does that mean? That's where the dispute is. In her, he says, then he may draw up a divorce document, give it to her and evict her from his house. So the dispute concerned the difficult phrase translated something offensive. Something offensive, right there. Rabbi Shammai and his followers interpreted this to mean adultery. Rabbi Hillel and his followers took a much more liberal line focusing on the word something. It's really one, uh, one word, but it, you know, it's really hard to describe in English. And they said that divorce was permissible for any cause, similar to no-fault divorces now, except that only the husband could divorce for any cause. So both sides assumed that remarriage was permissible after divorce. These two Jewish rabbis and their following and their thinking. All right, now, Matthew, the go down to verse six, 4 through 6 in Matthew 19. He answered, here's his answer. Have you not read that from the beginning the creator made them male and female? And he said, for this reason, and we went through this, right? So no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God is joined together, let no one separate. As usual, Jesus weaves a masterful line between both of these camps of thinking. Instead of directly answering their question, which is very rabbinic, by the way, he goes back to the original purpose of marriage, quoting two verses from the creation account. That's why I focused so much last week on their creation account. That's what Jesus does. He goes right back to the beginning and to God's heart. Okay, now, Genesis 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created man as male and female, right? God designed humanity to be, to, to be differentiated into male and female. But his purpose wasn't to leave them apart, but to bring the two together. So then a man leaves his parents and cleaves to his wife and the two become one. From these two verses, Jesus drew the conclusion which has become such a well-known saying. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate or let not man put asunder. In this reply, Jesus affirms several important features of marriage. It's like we're going to review last week. It's a part of God's original creation purpose, hardwired into how we are made as humans. It's between one man and one woman, polygamy, serial polygamy, homosexual marriage, had no place in the beginning. You don't find that in creation. It is intended to be permanent. The man leaves and then cleaves. Divorce is not envisioned as an option. There's no a prenuptial agreement between Adam and Eve. This is where you got to start any discussion of marriage and its disillusion. You have to start right here. So the conjoining of one man and one woman in marriage is good. Any disillusion of, the, of that union is a fracture of the created order and purpose. That's truth just drawn out of the text. That's not my opinion. That is truth. So the Pharisees come back at Jesus with a second question. Look at verse 7 in Matthew 19. They say to him, why then did Moses command us to give a certificate of dismissal and to divorce her? So they're saying, if marriage was intended to be permanent, why did Moses command divorce? All right, now, now be careful. 
did Moses actually command divorce? This is also a matter of current debate, not just then. Was divorce required in the case of adultery? In essence, what Moses actually commanded in Deuteronomy 24.1 was that if you were going to divorce your wife, then you had to do three things. This is what he actually commanded. Write a divorce document, give it to her and evict her from your house. He didn't say you have to divorce your wife. He didn't say that, actually. It's not there. You can't make it say that. So Jesus' reply, look at verse 8 and 9. He says, Jesus does, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of your hard hearts. But from the beginning, it was not this way. Now I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality and marries another, commits adultery. So now that is just, man, here, here we go. Well, that just raises more questions. It solves some things, but it raises more questions. Look at verse 9. Now I say to you that whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another commits adultery. So Jesus comes down actually on the side of Shammai, all right, and those followers. Not that everything that they're teaching is good or right or anything like that. That's just where it falls. Divorce and remarriage were permissible for adultery. Now be careful, all right? Be careful. Permissible for adultery. All right? But in answering the question, he followed a process which I find indispensable for thinking through this matter. It's indispensable. And here, what Jesus does, he lays out a, a, a redemptive historical um, paradigm, a biblical theological approach. Oh, theology, that's just, that's for pastors and, the, you know, those people. Look, no. He started with creation with a good beginning, affirming marriage as a lifelong union of one man and one woman. This has to be the starting point. Well, you can't get around it. It's not God's intention that marriage be breakable. Every broken marriage is a fracture of, or in God's creative purpose. So Jesus then moves to Torah or the law. This is Old Testament, right? Which God gave specifically to Israel to guide them in living as a new humanity in covenant with God. Remember, God chose Israel to, to model things, to showcase who he was. Chosen people he set aside to showcase who God was. Torah was a good gift, but it was limited in its ability. It was God's law written on tablets of stone. Next, what happens is Jesus goes behind the Torah to expose its limitations. The human heart which remained unchanged by Torah. That's where he goes. Jesus did a similar thing in the Sermon on the Mount where he also came down on the Shammai's side of looking at stuff. But here we go. Matthew 5, 31. Look, look at what he says here. It was said... Whoever divorces his wife must give her a legal document. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So this statement occurs with a set of five sayings where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. Really key. You have heard that it was said. Right? But I say to you, and then he talks about murder. You have heard what it said, and then he talks about adultery. You have heard that it was said, and then he goes, but I say to you, right, about oaths and promises, retaliation, 
attitudes about our enemies. Each time he cited Torah, but then he went behind the Torah to get to the heart of the matter and expose God's heart on the matter. What is going on in the heart is the real issue, God's heart and our heart. He concludes this this section, he says something even crazier. He says, so then, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect in verse 48. What? Yeah, all right, let's just complicate it even more. Concerning adultery, then, Jesus says in chapter 5, verse 27, look at this. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery, but I say to you, that whoever looks at a woman to desire her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You see, ouch. Again, Jesus exposes a problem in the human heart. That's where he goes. Torah could not deal with this problem. It couldn't deal with it. It was uh, all these limitations. It couldn't deal with it. Written on tablets of stone. Of course not. Torah was unable to change the Israelites' heart. And they prove it over and over again. It gives them guidance, but it doesn't change their heart. The Old Testament uses a colorful set of images to describe Israel's inner problem. They're described like this. Stiff necks, hard foreheads, uncircumcised or hard hearts, closed ears. There's something deeply wrong that Torah could not fix. But hope's on the way. Listen again to the scripture reading. I read it for the Lord's Supper. Here we go. You ready? Indeed, a time is coming, says the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. It will not be like the old one and all its limitations, right, that I made with their ancestors when I delivered them from Egypt, for they violated that covenant, even though I was like a faithful husband to them says the Lord, but I will make a new covenant with a whole nation of Israel after I plant them back into the land, says the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts and minds. I will be their God and they will be my people. People will no longer need to teach their neighbors and their relatives to know me for all of them from the least important to the most important will know me, says the Lord. Here you go. For I will forgive their sin And will no longer call to mind the wrong they have done. So Israel had broken covenant with the Lord. Her husband. And so he had handed her a certificate of divorce and sent her away. Jeremiah 3, 8. He had fulfilled the terms of Deuteronomy 24, 1. That everybody quotes, right? That's how Jesus answers all this. But that was not the end. There was hope coming. The Lord promised to make a new covenant. A new promise, a new contractual agreement in which his law would be written not on tablets of stone, but where? On our hearts. This is where he chooses to dwell and live now and transform our hearts, the hearts of his people. The new covenant has been inaugurated through Jesus. And those who have been raised with Christ are filled with his spirit, the spirit of God. We're filled with the spirit of God if you are in Christ We are beneficiaries of the new covenant, the new promise. And so we have to think about divorce within the new covenant. We're not living under the Torah. So we don't take our guide from the Torah or even from Jesus' explanation of the Torah. We get this all mixed up all the time. Let me give you just a simple example. Utilizing the word tithe. Tithe is under the old covenant contractual 
covenant. You were required to tithe 10%. Well, we don't live under the Torah anymore. Does that mean we don't tithe? No, no, no. The standard is actually raised. Jesus didn't come to abolish or get rid of the Torah, get rid of the law. He came to fulfill it. So now, because we have Jesus, much more, the standard is higher, much more is required. 10% is just a place you start. Wow. Are you kidding? Yeah, that's radical. What? Yeah. That's what makes it so difficult and so so painful sometimes. Sometimes we're like, oh, as long as I do tip. No, 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 no. That, that, that's under the law with all its limitations. I know. Okay. Standards are tougher or higher because of Jesus. We've been raised with Christ now. We're living. We are a living resurrection in relationships as well. Standards are higher. God has dealt with the problem of hard-heartedness, given us his son Jesus. What do the New Testament letters have to say uh, about divorce within the new covenant? They don't say very much. They don't give us a handbook on the matter. It's somewhat aggravating. But I think it's purposeful. Paul does address the matter briefly in his letter to the Corinthian church. That church is a great example of who we are. They're full of all kinds of issues. 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10 and 11, he says, To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord. I like that. Even Paul's like, hey, this is not me. I don't think he's a weenie. <laughs> I don't think he's afraid. He just wants to make sure, let me reveal God's heart. He says, a wife should not divorce a husband, but if she does, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband should not divorce his wife. See, context, super important, hard to get to, but context suggests that Paul here is addressing marriage between two people who believe in Jesus. In such a marriage, the wife should not separate from her husband or divorce, and the husband should not divorce his wife. The use of different verbs reflects the socioeconomic reality of the day. In other words, a wife would leave her husband's house, and the husband would put his wife out of the house. It's all context. There's evident, this is evidently happening in the Corinthian church. Just one of all kinds of issues in that church. Paul gives not an opinion, but a command in the name of the Lord that should not happen among believers is what he says. And if it does happen, there should be reconciliation. Broken marriages of Christ followers should be put back together again. No relationship in Jesus is so broken that it cannot be reconciled. No differences are irreconcilable. No breakdown is irretrievable kind of harsh kind of hard isn't it but you don't understand i so next he addresses the case of mixed marriages what yeah mixed like this between believer and unbeliever which just raises a whole bunch of other issues Look at verse 12 through 15 in 1 Corinthians 7 he says to the rest i say i not the lord <laughs> Or, and not I, but the Lord, I mean, 
right? If a brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is happy to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is happy to live with her, she should not divorce him. Remember, this is about mixed marriage of unbelief and belief. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified or set apart because of the wife and the unbelieving wife because of her husband. You transform and change each other and there's something bigger here. Otherwise, he says, your children are unclean, but now, uh, but now they are, are, are holy. But if the unbeliever wants a divorce, let it take place. In these circumstances, the brother or sister is not bound. God has called you in peace now. So since elsewhere in other places, Paul makes it clear that a believer should marry only other believers, you can assume that, there, that here's the case of two unmarried as or, or two who married as unbelievers. It happens all the time. And one of the, of the two has come to faith in Jesus. The believer has no grounds for leaving the unbelieving spouse. God will give grace sufficient for the circumstances. Some of the unbelieving spouses have come to faith right here in, at Vail Christian Church. It's amazing. But still, God has given believing spouses great love for the other one because, you know, but if the unbeliever leaves then, the believer is not bound. It says, presumably, meaning that if the unbeliever initiates divorce proceedings, the divorced believer is free to presumably uh, to, uh, to, to remarry. This, of course, assumes that there's been no hard-heartedness on the part of the believing spouse to provoke a divorce. So this is about all the specific guidance that the New Testament actually in these letters give on the issue of divorce. There's some other verses that people try and, and they want to use but I don't think they're really helpful at all. I think they're just side issues. Despite the relatively scarce scarcity of the specific guidance that the New Testament provides, I believe that we can think our way responsibly through these issues. So, here it goes. I, I, you just got to hear me. My heart is super tender about this. Everybody, well, what do you think, Pastor Ben? What's your view? Uh, I hate that part. Okay, I'm going to stick my neck out. Say I don't think there are grounds for divorce for the Christ follower. Now, I'm not. I'm not imposing that on you. I'm not trying to shame anybody. I'm not trying to invalidate anything. I'm not doing any of that. Let me let me finish because I, I really want to get to God's heart here. When two Christ followers are walking in the Spirit, because you've been transformed and changed. There should be no divorce because there should be no hard-heartedness. Every divorce among Christ followers is a failure. But divorce does happen among Christ followers. I get it. I know. Believers do separate what God's put together. What do we do about it? Among Christ followers who support divorce, so to speak, three circumstances are usually cited as valid grounds. Adultery, desertion, and abuse. Jesus' approval of Moses' permission for divorce in the case of adultery is, is cited all the time as proof that adultery is valid grounds for divorce among Christ followers. I beg to differ. I just went through it. We don't live under the Torah and under the law. It's limited. Jesus said this was a temporary per permission due to hardness of heart. The question to ask is, what is the spirit-filled response to adultery now? Jesus, right? Since Jesus. 
It's got to be repentance and forgiveness. Repentance by the guilty party, forgiveness by the offended party. Both are costly. Both require require soft-heartedness. Both require being filled with the Spirit. And the church community has got to do everything to promote such reconciliation. It's got to provide an environment conducive to repentance and forgiveness. And this is painful and hard. And wow. But if we're not about repentance and forgiveness, I don't know what we're about. Repentance will be hard for the adulterer. He or she has to admit Gross moral, spiritual, emotional failure. The community, the household of faith has to provide space for all of this to be confessed and taste place and forgiveness is equally as hard for the offended party. Harder. He or she has to be filled with a deep compassion and love for the sinful person. That's easy to say, hard to do. The church has got to be a place where marriages that are stretched to breaking points can restore, can, marriages can be restored to health. If the adulterer is not willing to repent and the offended party is not willing to forgive, then they're not walking in the spirit and they're not living resurrection life, in which case there's a deeper problem than fractured relationship between two parties. So, desertion. Is valid grounds for divorce only in the case of mixed marriage between a believer and an unbeliever? As far as I can see, where the deserting party is unbeliever is the unbeliever, and the believer has done nothing to precipitate the divorce. In such case, there's nothing the believer can do. He or she is divorced involuntarily. The New Testament says nothing about the case of abuse, silent. Making it really hard. And here I think we should not be afraid to use wisdom and common sense. I believe that if church leaders are walking in the spirit, living resurrection life, then God will give them wisdom to handle all these circumstances. But still, divorce happens among Christ followers all the time. I think most divorces, though, in my, in my experience, among Christ followers, do not fit these categories at all. They happen for invalid reasons like irreconcilable differences and irretrievable breakdown. How should the church treat divorce? And these kind of divorces in particular, irreconcilable differences, irretrievable breakdown. And there still remains the really big question, the elephant in the room, the one I hate the most, are Christ followers free to remarry after a divorce? I get asked that all the time. Hardline views of this say that since God who joins couples together, then a divorce can't end, can't end a marriage and, and couples remain married in the sight of God, right? Only death can end marriage. Since the couple remains married in the sight of God, there could be no remarriage. This is the view of a lot of conservative evangelicals, isn't it? You know? But Jesus didn't say this. Look at what he didn't say. What God has joined together, man cannot separate. He didn't say that. He said, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Man should not separate marriage, but he can and he does. Man should not sin, but he can and he does. Human divorce, as much as it may offend God, does indeed end marriage. Promises are broken, the vows are broken. So how should we respond to divorce? And again, let me be blunt but here's the tenderness in my heart about it. 
Divorce shouldn't happen. It shouldn't happen among non-believers even. Because lifelong union between one man and one woman is God's creation purpose. That's the purpose of marriage. It does, but it does. Man does separate what God puts together. In some ways, this is not surprising because humanity is plagued by hardness of heart. Divorce especially should not happen among Christ followers because we're supposed to be living spirit-filled lives delivered from hardness of heart. But divorce happens among Christ followers. So you start by calling divorce what it is, a breakdown of God's creation purpose for marriage and a breakdown of God's redemptive purpose for his people whom he has raised from death to new life in Christ and filled them with his spirit. So I keep using that spirit-filled Christ follower term. Divorce is wrong. And somewhere there's sin. And nobody wants to talk about their sin. But divorce is not the real problem. See, actually is it. Behind divorce are broken marriage vows. And behind the broken vows, there's hardness of heart. The obvious approach is to find who's to blame in all this. But that's tricky. That's why I don't think very many people should do what I do. The one who seems to be at fault on the surface may not be the primary contributor to the marital breakdown. See it all the time. It takes, it takes a while to paw through all that. I think a better approach is to try to discern the responsive heart and the resistant heart. That you can see. That you can find out. The responsive heart should be encouraged to act in a spirit-filled manner. What's that? The resistant heart should be urged to be, should be urged and encouraged and rebuked if necessary with a, a view to becoming responsive. Still, divorce happens. What do we do? Divorce is wrong. But having said it's wrong, we can cling to the final statement in God's promise in the new covenant. This is the best answer I could come up with. You got to focus on this. Look at the new covenant. I will forgive their sin and will no longer call to mind the wrong they have done. That's God's heart. That's who he is. That's what he wants. That's what I want. Where there is sin, there is also the possibility of forgiveness of sin. I don't care how ugly it is. You have to conclude divorce among the list of sins for which there is forgiveness. God's grace is bountiful. Letting the message of Christ dwell in us richly means that we cling to the gospel message of forgiveness of sin. If the spirit has softened a person's heart, if the divorce has been dealt with, and I'm not going to stand in the way of a divorced person remarrying. That's not my role. I might, I might not do your wedding or your marriage. I, I, in fact, I pretty much won't. That doesn't have anything to do with me standing in the way. It's not, that's not, not my job. I just, I don't want to do it. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it. I'm not incompassionate. I'm pretty stinking tender about it. I'll do everything but that. Most of the time, it turns the matter of divorce and remarriage into a pastoral issue, doesn't it? 
Now you kind of got to sit in my role a little bit. It's not a matter for the rule books. You're not going to solve this with rules. It's up to the wisdom and experience of those exercising pastoral care and oversight to discern the responsive and the resistant heart. It's not going to satisfy those who want rules written in books or a personal manual or organizations that want a checklist. It's not going to solve that. People want that. But you can't twist it around and do that. They might say such reliance on pastoral wisdom opens the opportunity for abuse and that this forgiveness, forgiving grace offered in the gospel can be abused. And I would say, yeah, it does. Yes, it can. I don't think that you can remove these kinds of issues by drawing up rules, though. So can people hand out the grace maybe when they need to be careful? It happens all the time. But I think that we can leave certain matters to the Lord because he's the one who sees deeply into the heart. He knows the heart that is soft and tender towards him. And he knows the heart that is hard and resistant towards him. It is the state of the heart that is the real issue, isn't it? As individuals, and just hang with me just for a second. And as the church, we, gotta, we must do everything we can do to promote healthy marriages. Think of it like this. If I'm going to go teach our teenagers about marriage, what do you want me to do? I, I, I want to bring it in a way that ensures that they don't go into marriage thinking you got loopholes. We got to provide a safe environment for, for people, though, struggling in their marriages to receive supportive care where shame can be brought out into the open and dealt with. We got to embrace the gospel of repentance and forgiveness. That's who we are. That's what we're all about because that's God and God's heart. Extended, extending this grace, even to those who've been through a divorce for whatever reason, even the most impermissible reasons, we need to extend grace and forgiveness. And we got to be a place where all raised in Christ Jesus and empowered by his spirit, live the resurrection life in our relationships with our hearts made tender and supple by God's grace, not hard by our self-centeredness. I don't know how to make it any clearer. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I, I, I had somebody say to me that I, I ran them off because of this kind of thing. It's your... I don't know. I feel like you got a hard heart and you haven't heard me at all. I, I get it. Believe me, it's touched everybody. This is a really hard issue, is it not? Jesus does not make it easy. And there, it's complicated with all this culture and terms. And I mean, can you imagine? There, it, there, there's, there's, there's things I didn't even scratch the surface on it. You can't contain it in one message. But I can motivate you and challenge you to look for God's heart in the whole thing. I'm not going to apologize. But hear me correctly. I care about you and I love you. And I know every church, including ours, is riddled with the effects of divorce and remarriage and all these things. I, let's pray. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Most of all, God, for forgiveness and the new promise in that last verse that this is what you came to do is bring restoration 
and forgave all the wicked and evilness in all of our hearts. We're all that way, God. Thank you for not holding anything back, giving us your most precious treasure, your son Jesus, to take all of our sin, no matter what it is, and provide us forgiveness and freedom. And that's what we're here to pray about. That's what we're here to celebrate and know and love. Help us to be a church that screams that from the mountaintops, that we're all about that. Teach us each and every day how to be tenderhearted, supple, compassionate, full of grace, spirit-filled Christ followers that are forgiving and loving and are all about the truth. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.vailchristian.com.